I would love to sing, I would love to preach about his glorious worth and value and beauty this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ, because we're going to celebrate and remember and show forth his death tonight in the Lord's Supper. And yet he makes it very plain that if we're to truly honor him, we must come to him in a certain way. And therefore, that's what we want to consider this morning. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13 for an opening text of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Tonight, when we observe the Lord's Supper, we are told in that chapter that gives us the instruction for New Testament churches that we're to partake of that supper worthily. That is, in a worthy way. And woe be to us if we partake of it in an unworthily manner. Right. Because the risks are great. Yes. It is not something to be trifled with, nor for us to deceive our hearts about, nor for us to apply less than full honesty in the examination of our hearts and souls when we come to the Lord's Supper. And tonight we shall call upon the Lord to fulfill... His holy righteousness and His holy judgment against any that do not examine themselves and come to this supper in a way that pleases Him. I read in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, these words of the New Testament that match up perfectly with the words of Psalm 26 that we read a few minutes ago. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? Examine yourselves. Prove your own selves. We find it easy to examine others. We find it easy to look and make observations and draw conclusions about others. But you know what? The apostle here doesn't tell us to look at others or to examine others or to prove others. He tells us to prove your own selves. We have a duty to truly be the followers of Jesus Christ, to be men and women after his own heart, to be the saints of the Most High God. We need to have a practice, a regular practice of examining ourselves. That's our theme for this morning, to examine ourselves, to search our hearts, to call upon the Lord to reveal whatever is there to us that we might correct it, change it, and turn again unto him with a whole heart and a whole desire, to confess every sin that he might show us or that we might find by our examination. The text is plain. Examine yourselves. It's a commandment. Now, this is 2 Corinthians. We also have in 1 Corinthians the passage I've already quoted to you this morning, which we'll see again tonight, within the instructions for the Lord's Supper, to let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that wine, of that cup. So let him. You should only partake of the bread and the cup after careful examination. Right. Because to do so without carefully examining our souls and our hearts and our reins, we run the risk 
of crucifying Jesus Christ all over again, of going into his supper and partaking of elements with unconfessed sin, which is the height of blasphemy and disregard and disrespect for the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will not hold him guiltless in such a case. And you know that from 1 Corinthians 11. But I want to show you here in another epistle to the same church, the apostle comes with very similar words, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Well now, if they were all in the assembly where this epistle was being read, doesn't that mean they're all in the faith? No, it doesn't. The Lord nor I care in this respect that you're here this morning. Many there be that have assembled with the saints for 2,000 years whose hearts were not there. Many. Many in the Old Testament. Remember our Psalm 144? That was our theme a few weeks ago. Lord, rid me and deliver me from strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity and their right hand is a right hand. Either way you want to look at it is a right hand of falsehood. God's assemblies and God's churches have always had those pretenders in there who were not sincere in their hearts. And our purpose is, by the Word of God and by His Spirit, I can only preach the Word, but a lesson I'm trusting an everlasting Father who called me to this ministry through His Son, Jesus Christ, to do a work by His Spirit far beyond what I can do. And that is good, and that is horrible. It is good in that He can bring the Word of God to bear on your soul in a way that I cannot. That's good for you, and it's good for me. It is horrible when He comes in judgment to help and defend me because you reject and resent and disobey and disregard the preached Word of God. This is the Word of the living God. I don't care what's going on out there today. I don't care what's happening politically. I don't care what's happening athletically. I don't care what's happening economically, and I hope you don't care. What does God have for you today? Do you have self-examination as a part of your life? Because a godly man does it. And if you participate today in God's worship, this morning and tonight, without full obedience and the kind of integrity we read about in Psalm 26, you are running into the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are running for it. Right into it. I want to tell you, remind you of something. In Acts chapter 5, I read about a man and his wife named Ananias and Sapphira. They possessed land and they sold it. They brought money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Did they come to the right church? Did they come with a great offering? Had they made a great choice in selling one of their pieces of property? What happened to Ananias and Sapphira? They They fell down dead and were carried out of two of his assembly. Ananias and then Sapphira carried out of an assembly because the Lord Jesus Christ came in judgment on two that had not examined themselves and brought their hearts into compliance with the word of God. They were in the right assembly and they brought an offering. And they looked oh so righteous and so holy to others. And I'm sure that for a few minutes, everyone wondered why they fell down dead. Because there was nothing there that they could see. 
But I want to tell you something, that you're dealing with someone who sees far beyond me, who sees right into your soul and can divide between what I can't even define, your soul and your spirit. Here's the commandment. Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. You might not even be in the faith. You say, but I've been baptized and I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Other than the baptism, so do the devils. And many there be that have been baptized that did not have a heart of integrity before the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you know you're in the faith? Prove your own selves. Don't tell me about it. Prove it. Prove it to yourself first. Prove it to the Lord. Prove your own selves. Don't worry about proving someone else. Prove your own selves. It should be a regular part of our worship of God in private. Our personal, private worship of God to search our own souls, to examine ourselves, and to prove ourselves. To look into every nook and cranny of our heart and mind and expose it to the Lord and confess everything that is there that is unclean and unholy. And to ask Him to show us what we don't see. And He will. He'll bring things to your remembrance. It is an, For those of you who know what I'm talking about, it's an amazing thing. You can ask the Lord in a prayer to show you anything in your life that you need to confess. And within seconds, you have impressed in your mind something totally off the context and thought patterns you'd had just a few seconds earlier. He brings something to your remembrance. And if it's wrong, it's to be confessed. If it's right, it should be brought up before the Lord, just like Psalm 26. He does does not get offended when you bring up your righteousness before Him and remind Him that you have walked in your integrity. Brethren, I believe that we have a window of time. Look at Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. The Lord has restored my soul, and I'm thankful. I didn't know if he would. The Lord is restoring the soul, many souls in this congregation. I'm thankful. He doesn't have to do that. Amen. He can leave your soul empty and dry for the rest of your life right. easily. He doesn't wait forever. He doesn't work with a congregation forever. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 21, speaking of that woman Jezebel, which was causing problems in the church that was at Thyatira, I read in verse 21, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. She was given a space of time to repent, and she didn't repent. I read in Proverbs 29 and verse 1, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. That is the word of the Lord. The Lord is giving this church 
a space of time, he's giving us the messages that we're receiving right now for the purpose of having all of us humble ourselves beneath his mighty hand, cast away all our idols and our false gods and all the the sins that we have in our lives to pursue him with our whole heart and our whole desire. It's a space of time. He does not do that forever. He doesn't even owe us the space of time because we shouldn't even have to confess. Obviously we do because we have a sin nature. But we shouldn't have to with his goodness toward us. The warnings of his word, isn't it enough that we should be following him wholly? He will not take forever. He will come in judgment and we're going to trust him to do so so that this congregation can move on in holiness and righteousness and purity. Yeah. It's a very sober thought. We have the commandment, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to examine ourselves and to prove our own selves, and we're warned that it doesn't last forever. Look at Psalm 139 with me. Let's look at a couple of examples of men who did this. Psalm 139. Here we have another Psalm of David. I refer often to the fact that David was a man after God's own heart because David is set up in the Bible as an example for us to follow after. He was a king by which all kings were compared. And there wasn't a king like David. Altogether, from beginning to end, David was God's standard. And if, we, if you want to be a woman after God's own heart or a man after God's own heart, David is the one we want to look at. The epistles of the New Testament were often written to churches with specific problems. And they would deal very quickly with issues. But you can look in the Psalms and see the daily life of a man walking with God. And look at Psalm 139. He closes out this psalm with two verses. Verses 23 and 24, where he prayed, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. That is a prayer you ought to pray. Amen. If you're not praying that prayer, you're missing. Right. You're not like David yet. This prayer should be prayed fervently and regularly in your life. Yep. Search me, O God. Things will escape us. We will develop habits. We'll, we'll forget that they're sin. They'll come by tradition. They'll come by a seared conscience. They'll come by an old man that's winning the victory at the time. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And there you have, possibly again, the distinction between your affections and your decisions, your thought processes. Ask God to show you where you have sin. And then you can say, lead me in the way everlasting. And then what that includes is, Confess those things and then follow the Lord in the everlasting way of righteousness and true holiness. See if there be any wicked way in me. That is part of self-examination. When you get down on your knees alone and ask the Lord to search your heart with you and to see if there be any wicked way there, this is the kind of prayer that you ought to have. This is a man after God's own heart. Do you remember in the book of Haggai, I'll not turn you there, where they had come back from Babylon in their captivity to Jerusalem, and God had commanded the Israelites to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city. 
But instead, they had gone about building their own houses. And so the Lord came to them and he said, consider your ways. What is that? That's examine yourselves. Don't you have some problems going on in your lives right now? Aren't you missing something of the Lord's best and his blessings in your life? Isn't there a reason? Isn't it rather obvious? Consider your ways. You came back here to build my house, but you're building your houses. That's the commandment. That's the example. The Lord is doing that with people throughout both Testaments. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel Samuel chapter 7. Let's take a look at a time in the, the life of Samuel when the Israelites were being judged by the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant had been stolen away was in a little border town called Beth Shemesh, where the people of that town had looked into it and 50,300 had died. A little tiny box, four and a half feet long, one and a half feet wide, small, gold box with cherubim over top of it. The Philistines had taken it as a spoil of victory over the Israelites. And when it arrived in that camp, They had looked in it in 50,300 and died. And Israel didn't know what to do. And here's what Samuel told them in order to gain the victory over the Philistines. Verse 3 of 1 Samuel 7. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. They had been whipped badly. They could have victory if they followed this process, this procedure, this recipe. This is what the Lord wants from us. To return unto the Lord with all your heart. Put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you. Whatever sins you have in your life, whether it's television, friends, a a job, thoughts, habits, whatever it is, put it away from among you, prepare your heart unto the Lord, and serve Him only. You know, you can prepare your heart unto the Lord. You can choose to spend time in things that are Lord-oriented. You can pray to Him. You can read His psalms. You can sing songs to Him. You can praise Him. You can speak to others about Him. And by doing that, it prepares your heart. If you've been living 168 hours a week totally consumed with your job, your family, your bodily exercise, your hobbies, you don't have a heart prepared for the Lord at all. Your heart's dead, cold, and dull. And as I preach a message like this, all you do is look at me and say, He's a nut. I don't feel any of that. Obviously, you don't feel any of that. Your heart's dead, cold, and unprepared. You can prepare your heart by singing, by praying, by asking, by praising, by reading. Your heart will get prepared. We are told in this text to prepare your hearts unto the Lord and then serve Him only. When you're in the flesh and you hear me or anyone else 
describe walking in the Spirit, it seems so far away. It seems so hard. I can't give up all my toys. It'll be horrible. If I give up all my toys to follow the Lord holy, it's going to be horrible. I won't have any pleasure in life. That's because you're in the flesh trying to make your decision. Prepare your heart unto the Lord. Humble yourself, confess your sins, and by faith take the leap into trusting Him. And prepare your heart. Sing, pray, praise, and everything else that I just mentioned by faith. And your heart will be prepared and you'll be able to follow Him wholly. And the Lord will bless you. As soon as you do that, all of a sudden you'll say, this is pretty good. That was easier than I thought it would be. Now, if you try to do it in the flesh, it'll be more difficult than you can even imagine it to be. You'll never get there. There's got to be a problem. The Lord wants you to humble yourself, confess your sins, turn unto Him, prepare your heart, and follow Him wholly. And cut everything out of your life. There's a process to follow. And if you do it, all of a sudden the Lord is with you. His Spirit is revived. It was once, once quenched and grieved. You had no power in your life. You were living this powerless existence, running after the things of the world. But if you will follow that process in examining yourself, all of a sudden there'll be strength and blessing and joy in the doing. Amen. You know what? You can't know what I'm talking about until you do it. You can only hear the words. But I'm praying that God by His Spirit will give you confidence in the words so that you can do it if you need to do it. Once you get there, you look back and you say... What a fool! Right. How foolish was I? Who said this? Asaph, Psalm 73. Once he got there, he looks back and he said, How foolish was I? I was like a beast before thee, Lord. Yep. And that's where we want to be. We want to be over there with Asaph, blessing the Lord, and saying, I don't care what the wicked accomplish in this life. I know their end is horrible and bitter. And I shall awake like thee. Psalm 73. Here we have an example in 1 Samuel chapter 7. You know, I found when we examine ourselves, we are to look and ask the Lord to help us in our looking, in our proving, in our examining to find any secret sins or faults that we should confess and get out of our lives and turn into Him so that we're worshiping Him with a whole heart. If there is anything competing with the Lord, you need to examine yourself. Nothing should compete with Him. In my reading for this sermon this morning, and not, not reading this morning, but reading during the week for it, I found so interesting Daniel, in the ninth chapter of Daniel, we're not going to turn there because the whole thing's a prayer until the Lord gives him a prophecy at the end. Daniel was known in the Bible as as a man of one of the purest spirits in all the Bible. They could find no fault in the man. He had a perfect spirit. They knew that if they were to get him in trouble and get him fired so that others could be promoted into his place, they would have to find it in a matter pertaining to his God. He was perfect. And yet if you go to Daniel chapter 9, what is he doing but praying and confessing his sins? And you say, Daniel confessing his sins? Yes. Examining himself. You ought to read the prayer. He had figured out from reading Jeremiah that the 70 years was about expired in Babylon, and he was about 80 years old himself. He knew that it was about time for Israel to return to Jerusalem, and so he's praying and confessing all his sins. 
and all the sins of all Israel and begging the Lord to have mercy and to keep his word. And brethren, that's what we need to do to ask the Lord to come to us and fill us with his presence and his power by turning unto the Lord and confessing our sins as part of our examination. What kind of a standard does God hold us to in this examination? Would you pay Would you pay a doctor for an examination if he just walked into the room and took a quick look and walked out? Would you pay it Would you pay a mechanic if you pulled your car into the parking lot and he just stepped outside the door, took a quick look at the outside and went back inside and wrote you up an invoice? Would you pay him? I fear that so many times you've heard the words examine yourselves that all you do is make some quick little prayer, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Amen. Sorry, not good enough. He wants more. He wants us to examine ourselves. What would you pay for an examination? What kind of an examination would you pay for? You want someone that's going to be thorough. You want him checking everything. You want that doctor canceling the rest of his appointments that day and spending the next two hours on you. You want that mechanic turning off the phone and getting inside your engine compartment and checking out everything. You want a thorough examination. And when the Lord tells us to examine ourselves, what kind of an, are you going to be consistent? Or are you just going to give it a cursory overview? I'm not too bad. And then take the Lord's Supper. That isn't good enough for saints that want to live the way that God has called us to be saints. We need to have a part of our life which is called examining ourselves and coming before Him and making prayers like Psalm 139 and following a process like 1 Samuel 7.3 where we beg the Lord to show us any deficiencies in our life, any secret sins, beg Him for victory over presumptuous sins, turn from our wicked ways, prepare our hearts to the Lord, and serve Him only. Amen. The church at Ephesus had many good things. Jesus Christ would say of them in Revelation chapter 2, the first few verses, I know thy works. Great church. They stood for the truth. Wonderful church. Revelation chapter 2. But then he said, nevertheless, nevertheless. You mean in spite of all that, they hadn't done enough examination? Yes, in spite of that, they hadn't done enough examination. He said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. You have left your first love. I want to tell you how tight you ought to examine yourselves. Do you have your first love for Jesus Christ right now? That's right. If you don't, you haven't done enough examination. And you haven't confessed enough. And you haven't pursued him with your whole heart and whole desire yet. He doesn't want a lukewarm Christian. He wishes you were cold. He wishes you were in Atlanta right now at some event for your own entertainment rather than coming to his supper tonight. He would rather have you hot or cold, but he does not put up with lukewarm Christianity. And this is the course we're on right now is to rid ourselves from all lukewarm Christianity. We don't want to serve the Lord in a lukewarm way. So we need to examine ourselves against this standard. If you don't have your first love, and if you're lukewarm, you have not done it enough yet. If you are not on fire 
for Jesus Christ, and he is preeminently the only thing in your life. Everything else is nothing but a means to serve Jesus Christ. You're not there yet. You haven't done enough examining. You say, this is like a whole new brand of religion. That's how the New Testament was received in the world. Amen. They said it turned the world upside down. Right. The changes that they required out of men that heard the gospel. He doesn't allow you to serve two masters. No man can serve two masters. Period. That's a law of divine holiness. You can only have one. Is it this world's wealth system called mammon in the New Testament? Or is it the Lord Jesus Christ? Look at Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We're looking at the standard by which God holds us in our examination. When a mechanic looks in an engine compartment and does an examination of an engine, he has a list a lengthy list of standards by which various components in that engine are expected to match. I remember the old dwell points in a distributor. The gap, in, believe me, I'm not a mechanic. You people all know that. But I remember the gap in a spark plug. All those things needed to be taken care of properly or you're going to have fouled plugs and, and my first motorcycle wouldn't operate. It would, one of those... Japanese rice burners, as they're called. You know, if you didn't have that gap just right and burn just the right mixture of fuel and oil, it would follow those plugs so fast. There is a standard by which we are held in mechanics, and there's a standard by which we're held in the Word of God. When you examine yourself, you just can't get away with, forgive me, Lord, for my sins, and go on. He wants you to search yourself to really examine examine means to pull apart and look at every component look in every nook and cranny if you're examining something a, re a report you look at every page you read it carefully i didn't say skim he didn't say skim he said examine we tear it apart and we look at its components we look at the fine print when you're examining something when you're looking at a life insurance policy and you're examining it, you look at the fine print. When you're about to sign a business contract, you look at the fine print. And when we're examining our souls before the Lord, we better be looking at the fine print and getting into all the little sins. Right. You know, we love to call them little sins because we like them and we don't want to be convicted by them. Right. But when you're examining yourself, a little sin is as bad as a big one. Amen. You want to get rid of them all. Because you love the Lord and you want to be pure for Him. Amen. Not because the pastor gets up and yells about examining yourself. Because the Lord's worthy of it. Yes. And you're going to live a miserable existence until you do it. Yes. But it may not be too long if Jesus Christ is righteous. Right. Luke chapter 19, we have the little short guy named Zacchaeus. Who was so short he couldn't see Jesus Christ for the press of the multitude. So he climbed up into a sycamore tree. So that he could see Jesus. I love his zeal. Amen. Do you like Zacchaeus so far? Yep. Yes. That little man climbed up into that tree and was peering out to see Jesus. And I want to tell you something. If you'll make an effort, if you'll make an effort to look and see and learn and know the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what will happen. Luke chapter 19, verse 5. 
And when Jesus came to the place, what place? Where Zacchaeus had climbed up into a sycamore tree to look upon Jesus. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Did he know he was there? Amen. Isn't that comforting to you? Amen. If you will show Jesus Christ that you want him, that you love him, and that you want to love him more if you don't love him enough, he will come to the place where you are in the sycamore tree and he will look up. And he, and he said unto him, Zacchaeus, hurry up and get down. Make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. And brethren, he will do that for you. Amen. If you will make an effort to see Jesus Christ, he will come to you and say, hurry up. Let's get right together so that I can abide with you. Because Jesus Christ wants to abide with his people. I hope that comforts you. Amen. I hope your soul has tears welling up in the corners of its eyes. But I want to tell you something about Zacchaeus. He was sincere when he climbed the sycamore tree because when Jesus called him down, the whole crowd began to murmur because they knew that Zacchaeus had a few problems. Zacchaeus hardly needed to do an examination because the crowd did it for him. Zacchaeus stood, verse 8, and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. That day, that man had a new business statement. Right. How he was going to conduct himself. What's it called today? Every company now has their mission, mission statement. Zacchaeus had a new mission statement. Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything, I'll restore it fourfold. Jesus said unto him in verse 9, This day is salvation. Come to this house. That is salvation. Amen. That is the standard by which we're measured. When you examine yourself, do you go in and make a commitment like that? You say, well, I'm going to do a little better with the television. That's not a Christian speaking. The pagans do a little better with the television so their kiddies can do better at their homework. That's not a Christian speaking. I'm going to try to do better with my thought life. That isn't a Christian speaking. A Christian's going to say, God, I hate those adulterous thoughts I've had. God, I hate those hate-filled, angry, bitter, resentful, envious, malicious thoughts that I've had toward others. I hate them. Do not let them come near me. And I hate that television so much, I'm not going to watch it. That sounds like a Christian. You say, how do you know? Why is that a Christian? Why can't I just say I'm going to do better? Well, let's, Zacchaeus didn't say that, did he? He didn't come down and say, Lord, I'm going to do a little better in my business dealings from now on. The Lord wouldn't have said salvation's come this day. Look in the book, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. You say, why do you pick on television so much? Because I believe that it's such an obvious, simple, easy way for you to make your lives holier just in one little box that's in the corner of one of your rooms or in the corner of several of your rooms. It's a horrible thing. We let the evangelists of satanic religion and profaneness into our houses. It's incredible what we do with that stupid box. 
And if, you've, if you know anything about the holiness that I preached on several weeks ago, and if you know anything about the Holy Lord that we're trying to worship, it's an easy decision. And it's an easy judgment for you to make that it is a horrible source of evil. And it will cauterize your conscience and your spirit and grieve the Holy Spirit and quench the Holy Spirit so much that you will get numb to it. I pick on it because it's an easy, obvious place to start in most lives today. I read in Acts chapter 19 that when the Apostle Paul came to this city and began to preach the gospel, it says in verse 18, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. There's a lot we could learn from that passage. It says that in verse 17, fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. When the name of the Lord Jesus gets magnified, this is the kind of conduct that takes place. Men believe, they confess, and they come and show their deeds. They repent openly. This is what I was guilty of, but that is in my past. It's over. And they brought their books. They used the curious arts. They communicated with spirits. They were spiritists. And they brought all the books that they used in communicating with, supposedly communicating with the dead, when in fact they were communicating with demons. They brought their books, and the books were worth 50,000 pieces of silver. That is a big pile of books. And they burned them where? Privately? Publicly before all men. Their righteousness was known by all. And look what it says in verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And that is what I'm praying, seeking, and working for in this church. That the word of God might mightily prevail. But it happens when men repent, when they examine themselves and clean out their lives, make it public, make it complete, and burn it. You say, but I've heard the word of God. A man that hears the word of God and doesn't keep what I've just laid out for you has deceived his own soul, James chapter 1. But I've believed the word of God. The devils also believe and tremble. You're doing very well, James would say sarcastically. But I've, I've even professed that I know the Lord. He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Amen. I don't care if you've heard it. I don't care if you've heard it all your life. I don't care if you believe it. And I don't care if you've professed it. And neither does the Lord. If you're not keeping his commandments, you don't love him. If you love him, you will keep his commandments. Amen. And will keep them holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. And will keep them with our whole desire and our whole heart. Right. What are the consequences if we don't examine ourselves? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You say this hasn't happened yet. Go ahead and comfort yourself. I worship and serve a captain who does not put up with traitors in his congregations. Amen. I read in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. 
For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Many, there were many tombstones in the church cemetery at Corinth. And why were they there? Did the Lord Jesus Christ come by and write in those tombstones, Here lies a good man? Here lies a big hypocrite. Here lies a big hypocrite. Many. Notice the words used. Many. Weak, sickly, and dead. That's the consequence. What happened to the nation of Israel? They came into Canaan. That's about where this church stands. We've crossed the Jordan River, and we're in Canaan. And we want the Lord's blessings. We want a land flowing with milk and honey spiritually, don't we? Well, we've come across the Jordan River, and we've taken the city of Jericho. But the Lord said when we took the city of Jericho, don't touch any of the accursed things in this city, but level it and burn it and destroy it. But one man thought he would take a good Babylonian garment and a couple wedges of silver, and he took them home and hid them in the dirt underneath his tent floor. Yep. And so they went. Israel went after the next city called the city of Ai. And they said, The Lord's so, so much with us, we'll just send 3,000 men. They sent 3,000 men, and the, the men of Ai chased those 3,000 all the way back to Israel and killed 36 of them. Joshua falls on his face and starts complaining to the Lord about why he had brought them into the land of Canaan to humiliate them with such military defeats. And the Lord says, get up off your off the ground. What are you down there belly aching for? There's sin in Israel. Someone has partaken of the accursed thing, and I am not with you. I will not be with you. Amen. Start casting the lots. And we won't cast lots tonight, but we're going to pray for the Lord to have a pure congregation. And they began casting the lots, and they found Achan in the tribe of Judah. And Joshua said, My son, confess your sins to the Lord. And Achan said, I saw this, this, good, this good garment, and I saw this silver, and I took it, and I hid it in my tent, and it's there right now. And Joshua sent men. They dug up the floor of that tent, and there was that garment, and there were those wedges of silver. And Joshua said, Take, his, take him and his wife and his sons and his daughters and his cattle and his camels, and his sheep, and his tent, and his bed, and his frying pan, and his transistor radio, and his kitty cat, and his puppy dog, and take them down to the valley of Achor, and stone them with stones so that they die, and burn them with fire when you're done stoning them with stones. Because he took of the accursed thing. Do you know when when I preached against taking of the accursed thing? A few weeks ago on holiness. Holiness doesn't want to touch. Isn't that what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6? Touch not, and I will receive you. He will not put up with that. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the captain of the Lord's host. Examine yourselves, brethren. Prove your own selves whether you're in the faith. To be in the faith is to be one that has fang. Can you grieve a person? Was God ever grieved with Israel in the Old Testament? Oh, yes. What happened to them when he would be grieved with them? Was it pretty or ugly? ugly? We grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We offend him. We hurt his feelings. 
We quench the Spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Quench not the Spirit of God. Quench not the Spirit. That's picturing the Holy Spirit as a fire. We throw water on Him. We reduce His effectiveness. You take a fire and throw water on it, you're quenching that fire. It goes down rapidly. And so does the Spirit of God. In your life, you end up being a miserable man pursuing the things of this world. And if you're a child of God, you're just totally miserable. That's the consequence of not examining ourselves as we should. You know what the consequence is of a man examining himself and changing his ways before the Lord and pursuing the Lord with with his whole heart and soul and desire? I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which he hath prepared for them that love him. Amen. That's why I've said to you, you have not seen, nor have you heard, nor have you enjoyed the blessings that he can give if we were to all get on fire with our first works and our first love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And we do that by examining ourselves. Examining yourself is more a matter of time and priority than it is of knowledge. I don't believe I've got to preach to you a whole lot, I'll do some, of how you ought to be living and what is sin. Because it's not really that you don't know what righteousness is and you don't know what sin is. It's you do not take the time, nor is it a priority in your life. You just get up, go to work, hang out in front of the drugstore, go home. Some of you will know where I got that from. You just get into the, the root, the, the, the routine, the treadmill of life. You're like that little mouse in there on the little, the little wheel spinning away and getting nowhere. Because your life is so full of activity and the concerns for this world's things. It's a matter of time and priority. How important is it to you to examine yourself and be a man after God's own heart? And I, I've already told you, and I know it. I know it. And all of you know that I know it. When you're in the flesh and you look at what I'm talking about, it looks horrible. But if you will humble yourself before the Word of God and admit that this is the Word of God and that God is speaking to you today, if you'll humble yourself, confess your sins, cut off what you can see, and leap by faith toward righteousness, He will give you the strength and the joy in the obedience, and he'll reveal more to you, and you can have a revival in your life very quickly. But if you look at how hard it might be, or how much you might miss, you won't make that leap. And if you don't make the leap, you're not examining yourself the way Zacchaeus did, or they did at Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. How important is it to you? How important is it to you to examine yourself and prove that you're in the faith. How much time do you spend doing it? I can tell you with Jesus Christ as my witness that I spend a lot of time doing it. And I'll tell you why I spend a lot of time doing it. Because there was a time in my life when I didn't do it. And I don't want that time in my life ever again. I'm running scared. And I love it. Do you know what it makes me do? It makes me do it all the time. You say, do you even do it when you know you haven't sinned? Yes. 
That's the best time. I'd rather do it when I haven't sinned than to be examining myself and asking the Lord to examine me when I have. I'd rather do it when I haven't. To show Him how sincere I am and to ask Him to show me something else. And they're, they're precious times. I get up thanking Him for loving me. And I'm not your hero. Jesus Christ is your hero. Amen. But I know what I'm talking about when I tell you, leap by faith toward Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Less than full honesty at a, t- at a time like this with a subject like examining yourselves is self-deceit. If you're not completely honest with the Lord and with yourself, you're lying to yourself. And you're forgetting something. God is omniscient. If you get down and examine yourself and you don't go into the closets that you know that are there because they contain things you like, don't think that you're coming clean with the Lord. All things are naked and open in the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. He is omniscient. The eyes of the Lord are in all the earth beholding the evil and the good. You will not escape from Him. Don't deceive yourself. What a stupid thing to do to lie to yourself thinking you're clean when you're not. We need to cut off everything. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. How do we, what is the application of this? What should we do? Jonathan, tell us what we should do. Get on your knees and examine yourself. Ask the Lord to send the searchlight of His Spirit into your heart to open up every closet to Him and say, I would give up anything for you, Lord. Anything. You name it, I'll give it up. Amen. And I won't play with it, and I won't just move it to a different corner of the room. I will get rid of it. Right. I'll cut it off. No matter how much I have enjoyed it in the past. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 9. This is after having list eight, listed eight things in verses 5 through 7 that we are supposed to have in our lives. The first is faith. The last is charity. There's eight things listed there. It says in verse 9, He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged of his old sins. Purged from his old sins. If you do not have a fruit-bearing life, you need to examine yourself. How much of this fruit have you borne? Jesus said, every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, I take it away. Do you know what a branch looks like that doesn't bear fruit? It's dry twig made for a fire. And every branch in me that bears fruit, I purge it so it can bear more. This church should be every one of its members, a fruit-bearing branch living off the sustenance of the Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit. Jesus dwells with every one of His saints individually, personally, within them and abides with them by His Spirit. He is called the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit. But if you're not bearing these fruits, you look into that list, faith, virtue, Virtue, moral integrity, knowledge, temperance, 
self-discipline in your life, controlling your spirit and your passions, ruling your spirit, patience, able to put up with problems, circumstances, and other people's failings, godliness, holiness, righteousness, then brotherly kindness and charity. What fruit have you borne in these things this week? If you haven't borne fruit, verse 9 tells us you are blind and can't see afar off. You have forgotten that there's a day of reckoning coming. Here and then. And you have forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. That Jesus Christ died for you to pay for sins and you're still living without fruit. When we ought to be fruit bearing because he loved us and died for us. When you examine yourself, I want you to ask, are those fruits in my life or not? Romans chapter 8 says this, in describing what we ought to have as a standard and what we ought to be looking for when we examine ourselves. Verse 5 says, They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. What do you mind? What do you talk about all the time? What is your main interest? The things of the flesh or the things of the Spirit? Romans 8, 5 says, They that are after the flesh mind the things of the flesh. God help us. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And we're right back to that reprobate of 2 Corinthians 13, 5. So how do we know if we're Christ? How do we know if we're in the faith? We're spiritually minded. If you run into someone in this assembly that can only talk about the things of this world, their job, their projects, their hobbies, their things, you have found a man who doesn't give any evidence of being one of Christ. You found a woman or a child who doesn't have the evidence of being one of Christ. Because if you're one of Christ, you will mind the things of the Spirit. Amen. That is a hard statement. Because we have in our minds the idea that we would like to be carnal Christians and we think that we can get away with it because it appears that everyone else is in the year 2000. And it's not what the Lord's looking for. How much time, effort, priority, and importance do you put on spiritual duties? Hear me again. Time, effort, priority, and importance on spiritual duties. Have you ever watched what someone will do that wants to make a change in their physical body? The diligence, the planning, the sacrifice, the zeal, the effort... The pride that they take in not having missed a workout. Well, would to God that we could have the same degree of joy in not having missed a time of prayer. If we took the same planning and the same ordering of all of our lives to get our spiritual exercises in as we do our physical exercises. We make sure we eat the right things. We make sure we have the right exercises. It's not just any exercise will do. I want to know the best exercises. 
And, and spiritually, that would mean going to the Word of God, going to this outline, and determining exactly what you should be doing. If we ever put half the effort into our spiritual exercises and spiritual changes of life that we do our physical, we would be a wonder to behold. Amen. Amen. The planning, the effort, the time, the money, the zeal that is spent to make a little physical transformation that doesn't amount to a hill of beans and will be laid in a casket someday. And it's not altogether wrong because the Bible does say there is a little profit, but it is nothing and it is all wrong when it pushes out, crowds out, competes with, and shames us in our spiritual zeal. Because right. there should be no comp. It becomes sin. A little bodily exercise for the little profit that it gives is not wrong. But when it is the only thing that you can properly plan for and apply yourself to and spend time toward and you don't do it spiritually, it is sin. It's become an idol in your life, and it has superseded Jesus Christ in its place of importance. And you know I could turn you to 1 Corinthians 9, where the Apostle Paul deals exactly with what I'm talking about. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Oh, if we just had those who wanted to apply themselves to the Word of God and holiness and examining their, themselves... You'll go get a physical examination. You'll measure every body part. You'll have that tape out, neck, shoulders, chest, waist, thigh, calf, forearm, bicep, tricep. Measure everything. Body fat, blood pressure, height, weight. And you'll weigh yourself every day. Oh, I've lost two pounds. I've lost 10 pounds. I've lost 22 pounds. Whatever I've lost. Would to God, we were going into the manual of his word and examining ourselves by measuring every area of our life the same way by the word of God. Measuring it and then getting just as excited when we have some progress in the right direction and thanking the Lord for it and praying for more and getting excited. I'll be able to work out harder today. Know that I'm making progress now. I've heard that so many times. Of course, I've never said it. I speak as a fool. Wow! The whole world has gone crazy with the worship of the human body. If we could just worship the soul, I mean, worship the efforts that we should put toward our souls the way they do toward their bodies, the Lord would be so pleased with our lives. I'm asking you, have you examined yourself in such a way and measuring every area of your life and then looking at the progress every week and praying to God for more progress? Do you pray the prayer that David prayed? Are you sorrowful for all the sins in your life? Or are there some that you call little sins? Here's a, here's a hint. When you call a sin a little sin, it's because it's a sin that you like. It's not because God's given you wisdom to all of a sudden grade them. It's because you like one. I remember Lot. I can hear Lot right now. He has just been drugged out of the city of Sodom by the angels. And the angels say, flee to the mountains because there's brimstone falling from heaven behind him, scorching his back. His wife foolishly turns around and turns into a pillar of salt. Do you know what the man says? Thank you for saving me. I'm going to the mountains and I'm never going to live like that again. He says, here's a couple little cities over here. Can't I just go and stay there? See, aren't they little ones? 
They're not big, bad problems like Sodom. Can't I go there? When you hear that, feel that inside you, it is not from the Spirit of God. It is from Satan himself able to influence your old man to whisper those little lies to you. Go after those sins first. Take out the ones you like the most. You'll get a blessing from the Lord to take out the rest. Do you hate evil? Don't get defensive or protective about any part of your life. We have got to hate evil if we're going to examine ourselves the way the Lord wants us to examine ourselves. Do you have anyone that is offended against you? Can you search your heart and examine yourself before the Lord and know that you are at peace with everyone in this assembly? Perfectly at peace. No possible offenses, grudges, resentment, hatred, envy. Any in your family? Do you remember a man that doesn't dwell with his wife in a peaceful, loving, honorable way? His prayers are hindered. He needs to examine himself. Did you know that John the Baptist was sent with a very particular ministry? Listen to these words. John the Baptist, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Family revival includes family unity, family love, and the ridding of all family problems. Every husband and wife in here, and I preached it a few weeks ago because it's this important. We ought to have perfect marriages. Malachi chapter 2, verses 11 through 17 describe women coming to the altar of God, praying with tears running down their cheeks because their husbands don't love them enough. Because their husbands aren't tender enough. Because their husbands are abusive, insensitive. And of course, yes, divorcing them for foreign wives. You say, well, what, did, what, took, what gave you the liberty to apply it down to small things? Because of Colossians 3.19, my friends, that says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Right. That means you need to examine yourself and find out if there's any bitterness there. Here's what happens in a marriage. People are, a spouse is offended. There is a wound caused. Scars grow over that wound and it's old and of ancient time. And so neither party takes care of it anymore. But it's still there. And a godly man is going to search into his soul and examine himself and ask himself before the Lord if there's any such scars in his marriage, any such scars in his family, with his children, with his parents, and cut them out. And, saw, and put salve on that wound. You say, I don't want to bring up those old scars. It'll be so hard. There could be, there could be some real pain and some real problems. Get rid of them for the Lord's sake. And he'll cover you and bless your marriage like it hasn't been blessed in a long time. Brethren, how are you examining yourself? Did you guard all your thoughts this past week? Did you watch any evil on television this past week? Did you practice last Sunday morning's sermon that godliness with contentment is great gain and therefore you used your job simply as a means to support your pursuit of God? Why do we work? In America, Americans work because it's the end for life. The farther you can get ahead, well, it's the bumper sticker. He who dies with the most toys wins. Ever seen the bumper sticker? That's America. A job 
is simply to provide the necessities for your family for you to pursue God. Nowhere does he tell us to get ahead. He tells us to get ahead spiritually, and I taught all that last Lord's Day. Did you show brotherly kindness to any other members in any way this past week? Or are you so selfish and so caught up in your own life and your own schedule is so filled with activities that you didn't have time for brotherly kindness to other members in the church? Did you read your Bible with the intent of knowing and finding God? Did you pray with the intent of examining yourself and asking for a Holy Ghost revival? Did you commit adultery with your mind? Did you commit murder with your heart or your lips? Matthew chapter 5 will help you understand that. Did you get angry and sin? Did you let the sun go down in your wrath? Have you examined yourself? Right. It's a pleasant task when your heart's in the right place. Amen. It's not onerous. There is no burden from the Lord that's onerous. If we'll go to Him and examine ourselves the way that we should, He will bless us in that activity. Amen. And He'll come to us. And he'll give us his spirit, and his spirit will blossom in our lives and burst forth into flame. And when I refer to a river of living water flowing from your belly, it is what will happen. But in the flesh, you cannot see the glory of serving the Lord. You've got to repent first and leap by faith and lay hold on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. We need John the Baptist and Elijah's with a take-no-prisoners attitude toward examining ourselves. How holy are you? How content? How godly? How spiritually minded? That's what we need to do. Brethren, we need to examine ourselves, repent of our sins, confess them to the Lord, convert, make restitution if we need to, and replace those things in our life with holy exercises. I referred to the book of Haggai where he said, Consider your ways. He said, look, you've been earning wages to put it into a bag with holes in it. Consider your ways. You won't build my house. You've been building yours. Therefore, all your wages are falling through the holes in your bag. A chapter later, he says, consider your ways. Mark, because they repented. They did repent. They examined themselves. He said, Mark, from this day, you haven't sown any seed in the field yet. You haven't done a thing. Mark, from this day, the blessing that I will pour out upon you. He said that before there was anything to observe. And he says to us today that he will pour us out such a blessing. They took the city of Ai without a loss by an ambush and destroyed it utterly after they took care of Achan in the camp. And brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ himself will slay the fatted calf for us if we come to our right mind and examine ourselves and repent of our sins and run to our Heavenly Father. Amen. He'll kill the fatted calf for us. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word Amen. so that we might celebrate and, and rejoice together. Amen.